All right, Matthew Fairburn, we are live on a Friday afternoon, rare afternoon game for the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show, pre-happy hour edition of the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show. A matinee. A matinee. I hate afternoon hockey games. Hopefully, I like afternoon podcasts. I think we're about to find out. We'll see how this goes. First of uh, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. Um but Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, I'm Chris Baker from, I think you know me just from watching Prospects too much of my life. But this is another edition, December 1st, 2023 of the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show. Matthew, we're just going to dive right in today on this lovely Friday afternoon because I had a long work week, a um, little sojourn, professional sojourn. I was out of town for a couple of days, missed some hockey. So you're going to fill me in and our listeners and viewers in on everything that's been going on. But um, I just want to dive right in. Last time you and I were together was the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Zach Benson had the goal. That was a loss to the Capitals, right? Sabres uh, go and uh, eat turkey stuffing, green bean casserole, mac and cheese, whatever, cornbread. They come out on Friday. Big third period comeback and defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins by a 3-2 score. They get back to work the next night on Saturday. For my money, that was probably their worst performance of the season. I don't know, that or the Philly game. We can maybe debate that. But um, 7-2 loss in New Jersey. Healthy New Jersey squad came out and just blew their doors off, right? Minus Monday Timo night, Meyer, though. Minus Timo minus, Meyer. So, minus well, maybe the he's Sabres, overrated. But maybe, yeah, maybe it's addition <laughs> by sub subtraction. I don't know. But for anybody that thinks that, uh, you know, can lean on injuries as an excuse for the Sabres that the devils were missing a big one. They were healthier though. They did get some, some bodies back. They did. They did indeed. And they uh, blew the Sabres doors off seven two. I thought that that was probably the Sabres worst uh, loss of the season to date. And there've been a few, <laughs> I think we're going to get into that um, Monday night. They go up on the Broadway there, Madison square garden and get a big five, one win. Probably their best win of the year, maybe. I don't know. Do you think it was either that or the Colorado win early in the season was a pretty good one? Colorado was probably the more convincing and thorough win to me, just a kind of a dominant game from them. They played very, very well against the Rangers. They needed terrific goaltending in a few spots on Monday night. And the Rangers had a ton of pushback in that game, and but the Sabres played very very well those are definitely their two best wins of the season colorado and new york i give colorado the the slight edge performance wise for the sabers but yeah monday was monday was a big win that sort of set the tone for a lot of what what we'll talk about this you know that happened afterwards news wise common thread in the colorado and uh rangers wins that's right two great probably his Two best games in a season full of solid outings for him. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, so then, though, uh, to complete the four-game stretch since uh, you and I were last together, they go into St. Louis last night. They outshoot the Blues 46-20, to and they lose 6-4. to So here we are. Uh, this team has won three of seven games without Tage Thompson. The up-and-down play of this team continues, and I don't know – what this team is. I really don't know what they are. I know they're inconsistent. I know they're missing their best player, but I don't know what this team is. Do you know, Matthew, what this team is? 
before we get into like the full agenda, what we want to talk about? It feels like this team is not good enough. The way they are currently constructed and the way they are currently playing because the the yo-yoing between wins and losses is not going to help you make up ground in the standings the eastern conference is right there for the taking it is a mess in the middle you have a few teams that are running away with it at the top but everybody else is still in that muddled middle there's opportunity to gain ground and they have not yet shown they have consecutive victories once this season. That Avalanche game, they beat the Flyers a couple of nights later. That was a month ago, Chris. They have not won consecutive games since, and they don't have a winning streak longer than two games. So consistency, like you mentioned, is the biggest problem. I would say that is the identity of the team right now. They are inconsistent. They are as predictable as it gets in their inconsistency. And it felt like to me that the Blues game was that in a nutshell, right? You go down three nothing, then you storm back three goals, then you immediately let up two more, and you're chasing the game again and, and don't quite, you know, finish. Uh, you know, just don't have enough time to to get the offense going and and finish your chances. So even throughout the course of a game where they were dominant offensively. They had miscues on the defensive end. They had a soft goal here or a bad breakdown in the defensive zone there. That, And they missed opportunities on offense, too. Even when they were down two goals in the third, you felt like they had a chance to come back. But that is them. They are not able to put together. I don't know. The, the buzzword in Orchard Park this year has been complimentary football. It feels yeah. like they need some complimentary hockey doesn't it? Right. Like that was on their culture rink. Complimentary right. hockey was going to be on their culture rink. Right. Talked about they, uh, they, they've been waiting for an offensive performance, like the one they got last night, just in terms of generating chances. And the second they do it, the defense breaks down and the goaltending isn't as sharp as it was. So it's a, I can only imagine that the frustration for, the fans and it gets into a bigger conversation about what they should do with the roster. And, you know, certainly Kevin Adams spoke this week. I don't, I don't know where we want to start. Uh, with, with I them. think we should start with that because I, I think I know where you're going with Kevin Adams press availability. Right. And I think that's a good place to start because, um, well, there were a couple topics there that Kevin Adams, um, brought up. I mean, there's this, I know, I know what you're saying. Like, where do we start? Because there's a lot of what's next for the Sabres. And there were a couple developments here. Yeah. One topic tends to bleed into the next with all of these things. I think they're all intertwined different parts of the hockey team, but intertwined in a lot of ways. And I think the place to start, if we're talking about the results that they've gotten recently, Kevin Adams mentioned, he feels like their compete level is not consistent enough. And he brought that up unprompted because I asked him now that Patrick Kane has not signed, you know, he chose to go elsewhere, which we'll get into. What's the level of urgency then to add to the roster from the outside? Because to me, throughout the Patrick Kane conversation, what I was most intrigued by was 
the fact that Kevin Adams might be willing to add to this roster from the outside, finally, in a, in a meaningful way up front. They have not changed the forward group from last year outside of adding prospects into the mix. Yeah. And he did not, he took that question and spun it to talking about the inconsistent compete level from the team through a quarter of the season. And he mentioned, it's not just a few games. It's a quarter of the season now that it hasn't been good enough. And when I asked him why he thought that was, he brought up the first thing he brought up was that they were a young team and you know, people don't want to hear that they're the youngest team in hockey. That's by choice. You know, that's a, that's a management decision. That's a direction that they decided to take while also saying they thought this was a year to make the playoffs and that the window was open. So inconsistent compete level is a problem. Everybody can see it. Kevin Adams sees it. The solution is simple, right? Get the guys to, you know, get it to be more. It's simple, but not easy. You know, you a lot of problems will be solved if they can be more consistently competitive, which is not the same as hard work. It's competing on pucks. It's just having that that competitive drive night after night. It's not what they're doing between games. It's what they're doing on the ice, having that that competitiveness. But it is a broader conversation about the team, how it's constructed, and what do you do if it doesn't get solved in 10 games, 5 games, 10 games, 15 games down the line? You're having a similar problem. What do you do? You know, do you add from the outside? Do you start rotating guys out of the lineup, which we saw on uh, Thursday night against the Blues? Connor Clifton was a healthy scratch. I think sending Devin Levi down to Rochester was part of this. Not that that was a wake up moment for anybody, really, but a, a signal to the team that, okay, the three goalie thing is done. Uko Pekalukinen earned it. We're not just going to hand this hand games to Devin Levi for the sake of handing them to him. That I think is a good message. Bringing up more guys. You, now you just have more bodies, more flexibility in the lineup to create internal competition and put some guys on notice, but and probably keep guys fresher so that you can get compete level higher on a more consistent basis. But it bleeds into everything in the roster. Everything is solved by that, but at the same time, your identity has begun to form through 20-plus games. So it's December 1st. The Sabres are three points behind Tampa for the final wild card spot. It's not like they're, to your point, like super far back from the pack. Um, Tampa's played one more game than the Sabres have. With that said, whether they're that close, do you feel that they have time to get Thompson back to get Jack Quinn on the ice, to get healthy, to properly assess what they truly need? Does that improve the compete level? Or do you think the urgency, are you feeling maybe, maybe it's not what Matthew's thinking. Are you feeling the urgency from Kevin Adams that he's not going to wait for those two players to get back in the lineup that he probably needs to act sooner rather than later? I don't feel a tremendous amount of urgency from Kevin Adams. I don't feel any sort of, you know, real desperation. He's pretty good at keeping his cards close to the vest. So even if he mm -hmm. were, maybe he wouldn't hint at it. But those comments about, you know, internally being able to solve some problems through competing better feels like there's not a tremendous amount of urgency, right? 
it yeah. kind of feels like the pieces are there, but, and, and also just looking at the pattern of how they've built this team, you know, urgency has not really been a word I would use to describe Kevin Adams over the last, I don't know, since I've covered the team. It's been pretty damn patient. He's been very patient and not wanting to block prospects. Made a deal right at the deadline for Jordan Greenway. Added a couple of third-pairing defensemen over the summer. The summer before that, added a backup goalie. You know, it's been kind of a slow and steady build. And so it does become hard to read him because what will it look like when he starts to feel urgent? And I do think there needs to be some urgency, though. I, I think the, the Zadorov trade by the Canucks yesterday is interesting to me because of the price. Pretty low price for a third and a fifth, right? And a fifth for a pretty good defenseman, right? Why pay trade deadline prices when apparently you can get a different price at, if you do it a few months earlier, right? Acting with conviction sometimes pays off in situations like this. Now, it can be hard to, you know, there's a lot of teams that haven't yet identified whether they're going to sell or whether they're going to buy or mm -hmm. how aggressively they're going to sell. But the Sabres are in an advantageous position of having cap space, having prospects, having picks. They have everything at their disposal to make a move and add to the roster. And the one thing that keeps waiting for Tage Thompson to come back is one thing. He's going to come back from that wrist injury. He was playing great before it. I expect him to play great almost immediately after it. Easy to stay in shape with that injury. I have no, we know who Tage Thompson is. This idea that they are biding their time until Jack Quinn comes back is sending alarm balls, alarm bells off in my head because he's coming back from a major injury mm -hmm. and he had not yet established himself as a legit surefire top six forward. He was absolutely trending that way. And had he not gotten hurt, I expected him to be there by now. But now coming, losing the summer, losing training camp, losing these early season games, and having to come back from this injury on top of that, relying on him to solve a bunch of problems, I don't think is a fair expectation for Jack Quinn. And so that's the, the bigger issue for me is you knew he was injured and didn't add anything. And then now here he is coming back from a really tough injury to come back from, and you're hoping for him to solve some problems that are starting to look pretty glaring offensively. They're 22nd in the league and goals scored per yeah. 60 minutes. So they're not a good offensive team this year. That's where it feels like there should be some urgency to, to add a forward. And Darren Dreger reported this week that, that the Sabres are kicking around, you know, on, on forwards. We know Kevin Adams makes a ton of calls. You see the Sabres connected to everybody because Kevin Adams is always calling around uh, and checking. But at some point you have to, you have to act, right? You have to, and I think it could have not just a, a boost on the lineup, but it could also impact the compete level, right? By bringing in somebody else to say, oh, okay, we're shaking this thing up. Fair it's points on Quinn, by the way. Like, I, I know what you're saying on Quinn. I almost wonder, though, too, if seeing J.J. Paterka's year-over-year growth, similar player, same trajectory, right? Line mates in Rochester, they come up together last year and so on. If that gives them hope that Quinn's going to pick it up pretty quick, 
when he does get back on track on the ice full, you know, full speed, but you can't roll, you've rolled the dice enough where I don't know if you can afford to roll the dice again on that to your, to your point. I think you're, you're basically saying, yeah, I think it's time to probably make a move, even though you don't sense it from Adams because he's been so patient. Right. Like Jack Quinn, I would think by in the last month of last season was one of their better players. He he was really coming into his own. And like I said, if he had not gotten hurt, I think would have been absolutely fair to set very high expectations for him. And I even think by February ish, you can hope to, to have a version of that player. That he helps you your hope. compete level. Absolutely. He, and he's, yeah, he's good away from the puck. He he's, He's a really promising player, and as long as he's back to full strength, which there's no reason to believe he won't, but I do think it's fair to wonder what the ramp-up period looks like. Even if he's back January 1, how long it takes him to get back to who he was or elevate beyond that. By the time you know that, it's already mid-January, right? And a lot of the season has played out and now you're back in a desperate scramble like they were last year to chase points and needing to run off big winning streaks to get there. So it's a, it's a tricky balance that, that Kevin Adams needs to strike here and, it, but it's one of their own doing because of how they entered the season, right? They didn't add and they, they held on to, you know, Victor Olofsson, they held on to some prospects. They they did a lot of this stuff to run it back. And you wonder if the comfort of that, right? The everybody wants to to be in Buffalo. Every all these guys want to be here. They've created a good culture, a good positive environment. Maybe it should be a little bit more uncomfortable in some mm -hmm. ways, right? Maybe just a little bit more uh a little bit more internal competition wouldn't hurt anybody. And certainly in that bottom six where they continue to show that with the amount of 11, seven they used and all the, all these different things that they're still searching for combinations that they can trust and rely on in the bottom six. We know that Kevin Adams, to your point, has been calling around on forwards and one forward that he was definitely calling around on was Patrick Kane, Buffalo native, longtime Chicago Blackhawk, short-time New York Ranger, now a full-time Detroit Red Wing, one year, 2.75 million. So, yes, we've, we've seen the, <laughs> that, that whole thing pass now. Um, what was your take? What were you hearing on that? What's your, what's your take on the Kane situation? It seems pretty clear, uh, at least to me that the Sabres had interest, but we don't really know how far they were looking to go as far as dollars and term. At least I don't. Do you have any sense of that? Like how close was it? Or what's your take on the Kane thing? It seems like it was a Kane decision that he just chose aside here. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the Sabres had to offer, but Kevin Adams did say that they had a meeting with him. So when Patrick Kane was narrowing down his list, meeting with teams, hearing from coaches, hearing from GMs, he met with the Sabres, Kevin Adams, Don Granado, and a few others, and they laid out their plan, everything else. And, you know, we know their salary cap situation, right? We know they offered, you know, they're paying Eric Johnson three and a half million, Connor Clifton 3.3. The idea that 2.75 was the hard ceiling for the Sabres, that they got outbid, seems far-fetched to me. Yeah. 
I which, don't think that's the case. To yeah. your point, Patrick Kane chose the Detroit Red Wings. Now, I wrote this week that, of course, there are other variables, right? There are the biggest variable that we did not really know exactly how to pin down because Patrick Kane was really the only one who knew how he truly felt was coming back here with stuff that happened off the ice. That was going to get brought back up, whereas it's not really a topic of conversation if he goes elsewhere. How much did that play a role? You know, knowing how badly he actually wanted to come home. We don't really know that. So those are definitely variables that could have been working for or against the Sabres. We, it, it's really hard to say. And then the role is another thing, right? He might get to play with Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan mm -hmm. Larkin, and maybe that role wasn't quite available for him here in Buffalo. So those are two things that I think are, are important. But we also cannot ignore the fact that the Detroit Red Wings are ahead of the Sabres in the standings and have taken a bit of a different approach to their rebuild. Most people I talk to over the last couple of years, whether it's, you know, in the league or covering the league, when I took this job and, and started, you know, talking to people about the Sabres, it, it, man, what a bright future, you know, that they're, they're as well stocked as anybody. They're going to be a juggernaut in a few years. So they have that reputation. The Red Wings have probably not stockpiled the prospect pool on the level that the Sabres have, but they've been more methodical about sprinkling in veterans into the mix. And now they are ahead of the Sabres. You know, whether their ceiling is higher than the Sabres is a, is a fair debate and one that people can have. But at this moment, as we talk, the Red Wings are ahead and comfortably so. You know, we'll get a look next week. Uh, maybe the Sabres can change that narrative, but the standings tell the story at the moment. So it feels to me, Patrick Kane got to hear from the Red Wings brass and the Sabres brass, saw the situation and thought that one was better for him. That maybe, because the championship's a factor here, right, Chris? Like this guy is 35 years old. He wants oh, yeah. to win a championship. And so if he thinks the Red Wings are closer, now, it's a one-year deal. Do we really think the Red Wings are a cup contender this year? I don't know, but... Um, Did we think that Florida was last year? They're closer to being a cup contender right now than the Sabres are. And so that, I feel like, and I thought the same thing, I don't know how Kevin Adams internalizes these things, and maybe it's just attaching meaning to things that don't need meaning, but in the, in the context of the compete level and the urgency and all these, these words... Patrick Kane sitting there and telling you that Iserman's plan looks better should fire you up. Oh, yeah. You're Kevin Adams. That should fire you up. Jack Eichel went in a cup in the spring, summer, whatever the hell. It's a long season. Should fire you up, right? You, you should have. And Kevin Adams was a ultimate competitor on the ice. So you know that that is in him. And you know there's some of that. So... That was my takeaway. It's like, this guy chose that plan instead of your plan. In part. Of course, there were other variables, but that was a, a nugget of it. And that's healthy, I think, for Kevin Adams to take it that way and figure out, like he said, he said, now the attention turns to beating the Red Wings. That's a division rival. He went into the division. So it's a. it was what we talked about, I think, maybe two episodes ago that... Mm -hmm. It was starting to trend towards 
forget whether the Sabres want Kane. He probably doesn't want the Sabres when Tage yeah. Thompson got hurt and their play trended in the wrong direction. They played, they played themselves out of it for Kevin Adams. Kevin Adams team played yes. their way out of his ability to get Kane. No doubt about it. Now your point about Detroit being better. I don't think there's any question. They're ahead of the Sabres 81 goals for this year. Most goals per game in the Eastern conference plus 17 goal differential. That's the third best goal differential, I think, in the entire conference, if I'm not mistaken. That's a pretty solid squad that he's joining right now. And in theory, he's not a defensive juggernaut. No one no, no one wants him to be. He's going to just make that team, ideally, I think, for them more. It's just another layer of firepower for that team. They're going to be pretty dangerous, I think. Um, so, you know, good on Patrick Kane for going to a situation. Look, it's a one-year deal, and he's making chump change. If he performs, and he's going to be looking for dollars bigger dollars, bigger cap number on his next contract. I'm sure Buffalo will be interested again. So we might be having the same conversation June, July. Yeah, depending on how it goes in Detroit, right? If you're the Sabres, yep. play your way into it. Because the that narrative I talked about with the Sabres the last 18 months or so that I've had this job is not guaranteed to stay that way, right? This idea that they are inevitably going to become this consistent playoff team and on their way to when it, you know you you become the the hot young team and the longer you play and the more you you know these guys develop and start getting NHL ice time the more they become you know that narrative can change if you don't perform if guys don't develop into high, you know, that reach their ceilings that, that everybody set out for them. So yeah, if they want to be interested in Patrick Kane again, they've got to play their way into it. And if Detroit has a nice little run, we know that that's a place that Patrick Kane is comfortable having played some youth yeah. hockey there. It's not far from home. It's not, you know, super far from uh, where he played a ton of years in Chicago. So yeah, if they play well, he may have no reason to to want to leave, but there's going to be, to your point, the cap will go up, right? He will have a body of work. If the hip looks fine, you can throw that out the window. Teams will have more money to spend and you won't be talking about bringing a guy into your team 20 games into the season, right? A team in the off season can say, yeah, let's add Patrick Kane. He looked good. Let's add him to our plan for a full season rather than jumping him in, you know, 20 games in or whatever. No, so that's um, no, that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And for Buffalo, to your point about playing back in, playing their way back into contention, being an attractive model to join, they have seventy five percent of the season left to do that. And now back to players that are here as, uh, and one guy that hasn't been hurting the Sabers compete level is Zach Benson. So since the last time you and I were together, Benson's uh, played his tenth game. That was that Friday game against Pittsburgh. Yep. I believe, right? So the meter's running on the contract now. And Kevin Adams spoke at his media availability this week about Benson and World Juniors. And uh, I was out of town. Can you fill me in? Uh, what did you hear on that? What's the what's the word there? Because you and I spoke about that. Like, are they going to send this guy to World Juniors when he's basically in a top six, a bona fide top nine role anyways, and he's competing and producing? Well, when the question was asked uh, by Lance... Kevin Adams cracked the the joke we were talking about where he said, well, are, are you Canadian or American? You know, 
So yeah. <laughs> Kevin Adams being the the good American that he is, maybe will will you know try to hurt Team Canada here by keeping him around. But he has not. We had a comment, by the way, Matthew. We had a comment on our last show. Was don't send Benson to the World Juniors and the and they. I, I think I think this was an American citizen said screw Canada. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and you know Donnie's got some pretty deep USA hockey uh, roots. He's it's a USA hockey heavy organization. So I think, you know, <laughs> they've got to, they've got to consider that, you know, team USA has a pretty good team this year and Zach Benson yeah. would not help their cause, but Kevin Adams has not closed the door on it was the way that he put it. He's open to the idea, but his priority is going to be what's best for Zach Benson and what's best for the Sabres. And so why make that decision now when in a few weeks, if he's still playing the way he's playing right now, you don't want to remove him from your lineup, right? No. Like <laughs> That's the biggest thing right now is that I'd almost even say forget what's best for Zach Benson because what's best for the Sabres, we talk about this situation, they're in a few points out of the playoffs, needing to find ways to string wins together. He is one of their top six forwards right now. He is... I wrote this the other day, and I truly believe it. From a competitiveness standpoint, he has probably been their most consistent yes. forward in that department all season. The only time it dipped a little bit was when he was playing hurt. When he's been healthy, he's consistently their most competitive forward, which is alarming in itself because he's 18 years old, and maybe some other guys should be driving that bus Uh more consistently than you him. would think and that's kevin adams problem that's why he's saying right. what he's saying like look at this kid he's 18 years old and he's out competing all of you guys that are making millions of dollars veterans in the league you're supposed to be showing him the way exactly and the goal aside last night that he scored forget the goal he was excellent last night in St. unbelievable Louis. he was fantastic and has been most nights the guy that is it's what's got to be beyond frustrating for the coaching staff and Kevin Adams, to your point, to sit here and watch this guy who's 18 years old do all the things they've been trying to drill into the heads of, of other players, uh, you know, for years uh, and making plays in the neutral zone, competitive on the four check, lifting sticks, making plays and being in the right spot in the defensive zone willing to compete and battle with guys so much bigger than him and win the battles. And now he's putting up points too. It's going to be difficult to remove him from the roster. It's going to hurt your team if he's still playing like this, which is why Kevin Adams is smart to hedge because maybe he hits a wall, right? Maybe he, I, I haven't seen signs of him hitting a wall, but it could happen. He's 18 years old and it's not, by any stretch, a bad development opportunity to represent your country and, and carry play in a big pressure pack tournament like that. But as long as he's playing at or near the level he's at right now, I see absolutely no reason to remove him from the roster. He's not going anywhere. Your team he's can't afford anywhere. it. Your team can't yeah. afford it. Tage Thompson's still hurt. Zemgis Gergensen's is hurt. Uh, Jack Quinn's still hurt. There's a spot for him. And it sort of points to this idea that on the one hand, I think Kevin Adams opened himself up to criticism by taking the youngest roster in the league into the season again. But 
the young players haven't actually been the biggest problem all the time, right? Benson has been good. The roster got younger since the start of the season. Benson has been good. Ryan Johnson has been good. You know, these are, are young players for you that are performing well. Now, yeah. I think... J.J. Paterka is still very young. J.J. Paterka is very young, and he's been excellent. I'd yeah. say Owen Power has been slightly underwhelming. Dylan Cousins has been underwhelming. Those are some young young players that you could point to as, you know, maybe uh, guys that you would want more from. Matias Samuelson, maybe we'll get to. I don't know. We, we may not have time to cover... All three the right there, you get them competing, the whole complexion of the team changes. Absolutely. So those, three, those last three, Power, Cousins, and Samuelson, get them competing to their level and changes everything, I think. Absolutely. So they were young in net, and that was a problem, I think, the Devin-Levi situation that we'll get into. Yep. But that's why it's weird. It, it, Kevin Adams opened himself up to criticism on a few fronts. The goalie situation and the... Youth of the roster, I thought, were two things that coming into the season, he's asking for it if it doesn't work out. The goalie situation still deserves a little criticism, but Uko Pekalukkanen has made it, has kind of bailed them out a little bit. And then the youth of the roster, Zach Benson is bailing them out, right? It's like you almost can't argue with being younger when the guy that's making you younger is the guy that's that's consistently setting the bar from a, from a competitiveness standpoint. So... That's where it gets tricky. Now, when you're trying to backfill your roster with guys like Yuri Kulik and and Isak Rosean, you know, that's where it's tricky because leaning on those guys when you're already so young it, is tough. But youth doesn't strike me as a valid excuse for the lack of competitiveness. And that was the first reasoning Kevin Adams gave. And I just don't buy it because of some of the things we mentioned from some Paterka is one of their most competitive players too. Very young player. Yeah. Competitiveness. Horse, that's why he's been able to play and score the way that he has. So that's why I just don't totally buy into that, that line of, of thinking. You know, who's been competing Victor Olofsson. He has, he's been he competing. Has, he's been scoring or putting up points anyways. Yeah, I think he had, what, two goals? I wrote it down. Two goals, seven assists in the 11 games of November after going without a point in all of October. The old man's been competing in a way. He's been producing, too. Kyle Poso had a three-game goal-scoring streak. He has a four-game point streak after getting an assist last night against St. Louis. Kyle goes last night had, let me find the number. He led the team in shot attempts and individual scoring chances. He had, like, eight individual scoring chances, led the team in high-danger chances. He... He brought he heard Kevin Adams loud and clear on Wednesday and and, and brought his brought his lunch pail. That was quite a I game. Um, you know, I I had Wyoming Trout's um comment up. I'll throw it back up again. He's saying concentrate on development since we're not a playoff team. I I understand the thought, okay? Um, let me read the whole comment uh, to be fair to the commenter. We should concentrate on development since we are not a playoff team, and then should let Benson play in World Junior. It is great experience and will improve his development. It will improve his development, but he is one of your best players that hasn't shown a drop-off in his play 25% of the way into the season. He's here to help the Sabres win. He's doing that when they do win, when they play well. He's a big driver of that. And I believe that the game for his development is to be in Buffalo 
if he's play doesn't drop off, kind of like to echo what Matthew already said. Under normal circumstances, Wyoming Trout, I'm all about developing the human being, developing the hockey player, letting them go play minutes, be a leader for their country. Benson, right now, this minute on December 1st, almost 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, I'm all about him staying here. Things can change. And by the way, if Canada announces the World Junior Camp roster and Buffalo declines at that moment to send them, they could still, if things can change, they can, they can keep him here in Buffalo as long as they can. Canada would be happy to take him on Christmas Eve when they're putting together their final roster and they make their final cuts. They would be happy to take him and plug him right into the roster. They don't. So I think this is going to play out for at least three more weeks and they'll make the decision. Then if, if Canada breaks for world junior camp, say December 9th or 10th, and that's when they open camp and Savoy goes and all these other guys go. Benson won't be there. I think he'll be in Buffalo, but it could change, you know, maybe that week of, of Christmas. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. And just as a quick follow-up, there's another comment since we're talking world juniors real quick, Wyoming trout had a follow-up. Can you guys summarize how many of our prospects would play in the world juniors? Um, Savoy, Maxim Sturbach will be the captain likely for Slovakia. Um, Noah Ostlin, who's concussed right now, is penciled in as the number one centerman for Sweden, especially if Leo Carlson doesn't go. Anton Wahlberg, I think, will be there for Sweden. Norwin Panaka uh, should be there for Germany. Kulik is age eligible. Um, I don't think they're going to send him. He's playing top line, basically, or, you know, firm top six for Rochester. He doesn't have anything to prove, I don't think, by going there again for the Czechs. And uh, Topias Lanevin is another one that's... Uh, He's in the picture. He's probably the top goaltending talent. He's been the most hyped goaltending talent. That's of junior um, eligible age, but I'm not so sure that um, he has enough. Uh, he's played enough games coming off the injury to firmly get himself in the picture. But I think for me, he'll be there at least as a number three for Finland, but we'll see. I think that's all of them. I think that's all of them. So not to make this a prospect podcast, but the question came up. And since we were talking Benson world juniors, I thought I'd answer it. Um, I will say, too, I don't yeah, think go ahead. It's, it's damaging to Benson to stay develop, you know, for his development. I, I, there's development opportunities here in the NHL as well for him. And yeah, splitting hairs over which one's better. And a lot of it will depend on the context of how he's playing and where the roster is injury wise at that point. So there's no reason to rush. My prediction today is 88%, not to use Kane's number, 88% or greater probably actually that he stays with Buffalo, doesn't go to World Juniors. Something drastic would have to change. Something There would have to be a significant decline and drop off in his play in the next you know five, six games for them to change their mind. Now they have some tough games coming up, right? Got Carolina, got Nashville. You get to see Kane and Detroit coming up. Um, some things can change, but right now he's a driver. You know, kind of how Seth Appert talks about Isak Rosane and Yuri Kulik on the farm as drivers down there. Zach Benson's a driver. As crazy as it is. It's been nice seeing him with Cousins and Paterka. I feel like it's starting to wake Cousins back up a little bit, and, and he's starting to, between that, getting healthy, getting the full shield off, starting to see some signs of life from Dylan Cousins and, and some of the old some of his old self, he's still, he's probably been one of the, the more disappointing guys uh, 
to your point about those three guys that need to to elevate a little bit, he he's at the top of that list, I think. Well, that's why I mentioned Olafson, Akposo, guys that are like doing stuff because it's those that second tier of young player that right. should have that youthful exuberance that should be out there working their asses off every night, competing for every loose puck, and still like not getting complacent in their roles as NHL players. And as young as they are, Chris, they've played a lot of NHL games, right? They like they yeah. they are not young in experience, but that's why I bring up. I brought up that point about, you know, everybody wanting to be here, that the comfort level, maybe it should be a little more uncomfortable, right? You're talking about three guys who have, you know, so it could be one of two things, three guys who have long contracts, right? They've already signed yeah. their extensions, Cousins, Samuelson, and Power. Is there a, an element of complacency or a, a deep breath that you take after you get that contract? That might be one, but number two could very well be the pressure that comes with the bigger number right? The, the cap number, the attention, the, okay, now I'm part of the quote unquote core. Well, spots in the core have to continue, continually be earned on the best teams. And that is the gamble you take when you have to commit young and all the, all of the contracts made sense. And I think still do because you have to commit at some point, right? You wait too long, the prices go up and, and everything else. But these guys also need to learn how to play as $7 million Dylan Cousins instead of million dollar Dylan Cousins and $8 yeah. million Owen Power. Like it's a different scale. Don Granado mentioned that the other day with JJ Paterka. He said at the end of the season, they, as coaches, challenged him and said, You had a certain spot and a certain role and were graded a certain way last season because you were a rookie. Just a heads up when you're back here in September. That's going to change. And Paterka took it to heart and look at him. He, he's been one of their best players. So that's where I think these guys are. Some of these guys are still figuring out how to deal with with these expectations and, and the pressure. And it's it's be, it's becoming a longer process. than I think a lot of fans have the patience for. That's exactly what I was going to say. OK, because we saw we came into this season uh, on the heels of how this team looked after the all-star break last year, when they were very much in the hunt and they had a hard time with the pressure and managing those, uh, just the expectations of being a young team trying to claw their way. And they came up one point short them, the, the Sabres not fully adjusting and being ready for those heightened expectations this year was a very real possibility. And it's still very early in the season. That's going to annoy people to hear me say that I know this, but I'm electing to look at it half full. Knowing that, yeah, you're missing your best player. And here, I want to throw Cummings' comment up. Are we galaxy braining this? Thompson, Quinn, Gergens is a hurt. Part of the game. Who are the 12 best forwards available to them? Are they using them, getting the most out of them? I'm still looking at it saying it's still early. They can get it right. They have time to get it right. And, you know, am I for a tweak to the roster? Yeah, but I guess we could have forecasted the slower start because of their youth. We could have forecasted it. So I don't know. I'm still going to look at it as a little bit half full. I'm not blowing everything up. I'm not, you know, burn it down. I'm not kind of like what Wyoming Trout was saying. We're already out of it. It's still very early in the season. I guess that's my point. And like, you know, does Casey Mills is having a great year. Does he start? Does he need to start burying more chances? Yes. To Kevin's comment. Of course, every guy in the team has to bury more chances right now. Their yeah. offense isn't producing um, up to the same level that it was last year. 
They're twenty so, second in the league in, in goals scored per game. So yeah, yeah, they not all enough. Every but guy, every guy. It's a great point by Kevin because it's front, it's top of mind because Middlestat missed a few prime chances last night and against the Blues and as great as he's been as a playmaker, you know, being willing to take take shots and bury chances and having that conviction has been the missing element for him at, at this stage of his career, but he's proven to be a, an excellent playmaker. All A lot of these guys need to be better at capitalizing on chances. And I do think there is still reason for optimism and it's a, it's just such a fine line for them because they are, you know, still in the mix in the standings. But I think that game against the Blues shows you why being in the mix or being three points out or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And last season should show too why that can be deceiving because in your head you're like, okay, just three points or just however many points, just rattle off a few wins. You're going to have so many games like the blues game where you play better than the other team and you lose, you know, that's the NHL. You're but they have- weren't all playing off the same sheet of music. Okay. Right. Like you, your point, you have the offense going, you're getting 46 shots or whatever the hell the number was. And then you let a couple soft ones in maybe early in the season, early in the game. I wouldn't say soft, but maybe ones that were stoppable. That Yeah. You got the first one on. was, was soft. I think. Yeah. Uh, the I was thinking one, like the two or three. I'm yeah, not sure the, if they were between solid. the between the second and third goal. It's like it'd be nice to have one of those. Yes, and you'd want the first one. And the reason why I don't pin the whole game on goaltending, but this has been a problem for them. This has been their goalie problem this year more so than the total picture of the numbers. Is early in games sometimes you you have a goal like that, and it's man they're chasing the game again. It's hard to chase games in the NHL, period. The numbers reflect. You fall down. It's hard to come back sometimes. It's just statistically, you know, a factor. But, you know, that's where it's challenging. It's deflating. It happened with Levi. I think it was part of Devin Levi's issue was, yeah, once he got into the game, maybe the final numbers would look okay or he would make some big saves. But if you let in a few early ones, that can really – cripple the team a little bit and that's what happened i think to lukanen last night he was hung out to dry the rest of the night or for a good chunk of the night but a couple of the early ones even that braden chen power play goal point blank shot right great shot a little bit of a screen you'd like to see him just fight for for a better look at it and and be able to make the save or the rebound you know on the other goal like i said between the two you'd like him to get one all of a sudden it's even with the soft first one it's a two goal game and they saw you saw they had the offense to pull it off. But then when it comes down to it, you have Matias Samuelson with an easy turnover, uh, you know, that leads to a, an easy Kevin Hayes goal. You have Owen Power trying to baseball bat a puck at the offensive blue line to keep it in. Yeah. And, How's he doing? and then leaving his feet at the other end as he's chasing a guy down on a back check. Bring, I didn't like that play. Keep your legs moving, man. Yeah, that was, you know, and that speaks to our point and we have a question in here i I don't know how far we want to go down the Owen power rabbit hole tonight we have or this afternoon we've got lots of stuff to to get to but it's the pre-happy hour edition as long as it doesn't mess with the happy hour that's right so you know they by the way i'm looking at myself right now i look like a guy who was in the bar a lot this week on my professional trip i'm a little puffy too much tequila go ahead matthew i'm sorry but you know you mentioned Owen power is one of those top three guys that you know needs a 
a little bit higher compete. And those are the plays, right? Where it's like, why are we trying to, you know, bat a puck out of the air? You know, why, why leave your feet? Why, you know, and there was a poor back check on the second Braden Shen goal where he just kind of walks into the slot and, and there's nobody there, you know, he's untouched. He's having a, you know, a, a Saturday afternoon public skate, you know, it's, it's a little bit too easy. And that's where it's tough to pin the game on Lukanen because as much as he, he dug a little bit of a hole, he also had that crazy save a minute, you know, seconds before that first goal. So a lot of breakdowns in the defensive zone last night that they have been better defensively. Offense finally wakes up and it comes at the expense of, of some defense. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier about um, these young guys making money now and maybe feeling some pressure that's associated with earning well, you know, I mean, power. That money kicks in next year. So he's not even really technically earning it right now. Right. But I think that he's, I think that's what's going on with him. I think there's, I think he's one guy that's feeling that pressure of being a $7 million guy or whatever the number was. I forget the number now. 8.35. Um, oh, 8.35. That's right. Who was, oh, who the hell was Cousins seven? is a hair over seven. Seven. Right cousin. around seven. That's right. And then yeah. Matias Samuelson is four, four, seven, five ish, right? Four, yeah. two, maybe four, two, yeah. eight, five, something like that. I think, I think there's a little bit of that. A lot of that uh, big money very soon with power. Cause you really right. only play just, for one season and he just turned 21. Right. So it's a sophomore jinx a little bit, maybe, which again, I can get beat up for saying that, but I think it's a real thing. We've seen it a lot with big defensemen. We saw it with Tyler Myers for sure. You see with a lot of defensemen, they come out their second year where you want them to take that step and they don't, there's expectations. He's kind of the poster child for the whole team right now. If you think about it, what Owen Powers going through, has he been horrible? No, no. Is he meeting expectations? No. Is he another Ultimate guy that has group. some time to get it right? Yes. And again, I'm not trying to annoy people by being overly optimistic. I'm not making a guarantee that these guys are going to get it right. I just think that they can. And we could have forecasted some of this stuff by looking at history and by looking at the team last year. And a lot of it was, you know, um, still based on potential. You know, so now it's like, how do they apply these learnings from these first, whatever, 20, what do they play, 24 games? So I have too many mice here that I'm trying to toggle. They played 23 games. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, you mentioned had, Devin. Lee. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go we ahead. We had the the question on on Owen Power was you know eye test versus numbers test because his underlying numbers are very good. Mm -hmm. The offensive part of his game is not the problem. That's why his underlying numbers have have been good. Kevin Adams mentioned you know the the margins in the league mm -hmm. being so thin, and it's the it's the competitiveness on pucks, the physicality for such a big guy that is lacking, that's kind of where the bad eye test is showing up uh, to mm -hmm. Mitch's point here. And it's why I, I just don't like the outright dismissal of the idea that he's not playing well, because the numbers say one thing, because there's a lot that goes into the numbers and we've referenced those numbers a lot and they tell us a lot. They, they tell a good story, but they tell a story, not always the story. Exactly. And you don't want to, I just don't want to sit here and gaslight people who are watching the games saying, seeing the same things we're seeing, right? These plays that I'm sure the coaching staff is seeing and that Owen power is seeing when he watches back and not pretend like that's, that's not existing because the numbers say one thing he's an offensive driver. 
he plays a ton of minutes and he has great vision, great poise with the puck, all these things, but he is a defenseman. And that part of his game feels like it's lacking on the margins in these, you know, competitive puck battles and situations in front of the net. There is room for improvement. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, it was worth getting to that question from Mitch there. Mitch has a second question here. How can you teach your coach competitiveness? It's a great question. All of these guys compete. That's how they got to the NHL. You sit their asses down and you see if that motivates them to come out and then they compete harder the next game. That's really the only way you do it at this level. Yeah, that's a a great question. And it's one that I've struggled with and batted around because I, I do. And I never, as somebody who's writing about these guys and, you know, dealing with them on a regular basis, I have a really hard time accusing guys of, you know, dogging it. Right. And so it's a fine line between saying the competitiveness needs to be better and the work ethic needs to be better. And Don Granado did make that distinction when I asked him yesterday, I think it was no two days ago, you know, cause Kevin Adams made that point. So I said, what, you know, where are you at in terms of figuring that out? Like how to get that better, you know, because, to Mitch's point, that is the question, right? And yeah. Granado made a point that people probably don't want to hear that every team struggles with it because it is true to an extent, right? Every team is going to struggle to varying degrees to find that level of competitiveness as often as possible. Every night, yeah. And the teams that do it in this sport are the ones that win. Like this Austin is last year. Well, they right. ran out of gas, but they competed every, every night in the regular right. season. And the talent level is one thing in this league, you know, that there's a ton of skilled players and some teams have a lot more skill than others, but effort can get you a hell of a long way and compete and being able to be that team that accesses it every night. And I, I think Mitch's question is a really good one because of what we talked about, about Zach Benson. Is this something that you just have at that level, at that level that you need to have it? Because like you said, they all have it, right? They all have it. And it's not that they're going into the game saying, ah, I'm not, I'm not going to go for it tonight. I'm just not, I'm going to dog it. They're not doing that. They're it's when they're on the ice, having that extra gear of I'm winning this puck battle and there's no chance the other guy's getting it or I'm get I'm winning this race you know, on the four check, or I'm going to make the simple player. I'm just going to throw, look at Darlene. Darlene's a great example of a guy that just, when he is competing at his highest level, he's firing pucks at the net. He's, he's trying to do everything he possibly can sometimes to his detriment. Uh, you know, just really, you can see it and that's different than work ethic, but it is, it is one of those things that it, the biggest thing is when you're not feeling great because you play 82 games, and you're not going to feel great. You're going to play back to backs. You're going to have travel. You're going to be under the weather or dinged up. It's accessing the B game that can get you wins and not just kind of being okay with losing puck battles because you're not feeling great that night. But it's a mystery. It's a big mystery in the NHL that a lot of teams try to solve. Yeah. And guys get motivated by, you know, different ways. And a lot of times, though, it is taking away. <laughs> yeah take away privilege I, of playing right like looking away the privilege of playing you'll probably see a different connor clifton on you know the next time he's in the lineup because he sat maybe we would see a different matthias samuelson 
if if he spent a night in the press box for the first time ever. That's what I like about having Brian right? Johnson here, keeping pressure on. To your point about these young guys setting a tone or an example like a Benson does up front, Ryan Johnson's the guy that's been keeping the other guys honest on the blue line. Samuelson thing, it might be early. I can't single out one guy that has to sit, No, by the way. And I know that's what you're saying, too. You have kind of a rotation, right? You could have, you know, where Ryan Johnson is playing well. That's what happened here. Ryan Johnson's playing well enough, so Yoki Haru came out. Connor Clifton came out. That's the start of it. Is Matias Samuelson in the Rasmus Dahlin untouchable? He stays in the lineup category, or has he worked his way into the rotation? Eric Johnson, you know, I don't know that Eric Johnson from a competitiveness standpoint is the problem so much as he's 35 years old and maybe the ability is slipping a little bit, but up front, it could be, I think this is weird. They're, I think they're four, one and one in the games that they have gone 11, seven. And I think, I think a small part of that is this competitiveness, right? The bench is shortened. Who's going to get, you know, the every shift isn't, you know, kind of guaranteed. You're mixing and matching with different guys. There's just a different alertness that needs to exist on the bench to make sure it's all working properly. And for the defenseman, you got an extra body. So you're trying to earn every shift. And at this stage with youth and ex- inexperience all over the roster, maybe that's just a lesson that they need to learn that, yes, for the last few years, everything was kind of handed to a lot of these guys, right? And it can't be that way forever if they're going to be a legit playoff team. The one thing I stopped liking about the 11 is, I mean, I, I, I was questioning it, you know what I mean? But like it was working to your point. The one byproduct of that, that I was, I'm not in love with was I, I know Alex Tuck played a lot of minutes last year. He had a bunch of games where he was well over 20 minutes a night as a forward. He's been playing a lot. And it's a long season for him to be out there logging this many minutes this early in the season for a guy. And he's not old. Okay. He's what, 27, but he's taken a beating in his body the past couple of years. That was the one thing I didn't like about the 11, seven. It forces a guy like Tuck to play a lot more with Thompson hurt and some of the other guys not there. And it's a long season. Is he going to run out of gas? Cause that would be really not a good situation for the same. No, so you, you know what I mean? He yeah. gets banged up to your point, right? Yes. He has these little nicks and these nagging things. <clears throat> Almost feel better with like a Thompson in that in that type of role. You know, the playing the McDavid where he's just on the ice all the time. Um, yeah. Because Thompson's he did have the you know, what I think was a back last year at one point. He had his own nicks at the end of the year, but you know, this latest one had nothing to do with workload. So 25 minutes against Washington, 25 minutes against Pittsburgh, dipped down to 17 against Jersey, but that's fine, right? They were blown out. 22 minutes against the Rangers, 22 minutes against St. Louis. 22 I can deal with, but like, like even when you look at his average time, like in the first block of games in October, he was averaging 18 minutes a game. He's averaging almost 21 in, the, in November. That's that's a lot of it is, you know, Thompson being hurt, but it's also that 11 seven, I think. And I just want to make sure they're managing his mileage. You know, you can, yeah, you can overdrive your car. <laughs> absolutely. And when we <laughs> talk the engine about, overheats. Yeah. when we talk about the half glass full and the, uh, mm-hmm. the glass half full that I glass half full. Yeah. I think yeah. I, right. I, I know what you meant. So did, so did our <laughs> listeners. Um, part of that 
the other side of that coin is sure, but not if you wear these guys down, right? Not, you know, you're also assuming a lot of stuff will go right in the second half in terms of health and in terms of, you know, these things. And to your point, because of the injuries, some guys are carrying a pretty big load. I mean, there was a little scare with Rasmus Dahlin last night uh, that, you know, he got twisted up a little bit and, and driven into the boards. It, those things make you realize it's a, it's a fine line. You lose a guy like Rasmus Dahlin, that's a, that's a challenge. So, and that was Krug, right? That was Toy Krug, that I was think? was Krug, yeah. Gave him a little then, extra there. Yeah, I thought that was unnecessary. Then Krug, of course, faked himself out, juked himself out, and crashed into the boards. <laughs> yes. And then was looking for a penalty. You should get a right. penalty on yourself <laughs> for that, Tori. Tori Krug. Uh, old Michigan State uh, Spartan. I'm, I'm gonna do, That's my Pierre Maguire uh, yeah. for the day. There you go. Hey, let's hard shift because you said load. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I, I always want to talk about workload for goaltenders. Devin Levi wasn't going to get the workload up here in terms of practice minutes or in terms of game minutes. Coincide with the emergence of UPL. And I'm, I don't have the soundbite handy, so I'm just going to skip it right now. I already blew it. I, I, I used my UPL soundbite token very early in this podcast. Worth it. Um, but Devin Levi goes down to Rochester as a result of the dynamics. Now, last time you and I were together, we did factor fiction. Devin Levi needs to go to Rochester. And I said it was fiction, partially because I didn't think he was like completely played himself out of a job at the NHL, but it was more of a of not one guy had really stepped up and stole that number one job and said, it's my job. UPL's kind of done that in the past eight or nine days, however long it's been since you and I've been together. Pittsburgh and New York. Pittsburgh and New York, I think, pushed them over the edge with UPL. He played great. So so now it's a fact for sure in retrospect that Devin Levi can go down to the AHL. But I think he's going down with a pretty good attitude. I read your piece in The Athletic um, about it. You had gotten you spoke to devin levi i'm assuming yeah, you got, on, yeah you got those quotes in, on in the zoom on, uh, the amherst it was a busy day i was going to drive down to rochester and i was sort of in contact with the amherst and it was also you know the sabers had returned from the trip patrick kane had happened kevin adams was speaking at the arena at 10 30 the amherst were going to get done with practice at 12 30 the sabers were practicing at the same time there was a lot going on and the Amherst made him available on Zoom, which was good. So I was able to to chat with him a little bit. And it was the biggest thing I was wondering because it was pretty self-explanatory from the Sabres end. Why? Right. We've had a lot of conversations on this podcast of how it's the the usual path. The normal thing to do is to play in the AHL as a, as a young goalie. I was more wondering where Devin Levi was at and trying to get a read. You know, he was going to say certain things, but... Kind of curious, where was his his bubbly, energetic personality? And it, and it hadn't changed much, really. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled with it, but he's recognizing the positives. This is a guy that's done this before, right? The patient path. It's part of what didn't add up with the impatient path that the Sabres and he chose in this situation. But I thought he was in a good headspace, and I think ultimately... I asked him this and he he didn't quite pick up what I was putting down. But my question was, is it somewhat of a relief to have this burden off of, oh, nobody has ever done what Devin Levi is doing, right? He's the only one to ever go from college to the NHL 
and be a number one and skip the AHL. And Devin being who he is as a competitor and as a guy with a ton of confidence in himself said it was never a weight on his shoulders. It was an opportunity to prove people wrong and he loved it and all this. But I don't know about you, Chris. I'm relieved for him, for the organization, for us who talk and write about this team, who that that's out the window. Forget it. You don't have it to. It can now be history. normal. Exactly. You don't have to make history. You yeah. don't have to do something that hardly anybody has ever done. You don't have to be different than Ryan Miller and Connor Hellebuck and UC Saros and all these guys. You can develop the way goalies typically develop. Would it have been an ideal situation for the Sabres if he jumped right in and dominated? Sure. But that didn't happen. They needed to course correct. You could argue that they should never have done it in the first place, putting him in the NHL. They lucked out, though, because Lukanen played well. Comrie mm -hmm. played well when called upon. And it doesn't feel like goaltending is the reason that they're one game below 500 right now. I don't think goaltending is the reason they're season is in trouble and i don't think that there necessarily was a major answer to the position in the offseason so maybe it was a gamble worth taking by the sabers but they absolutely needed to course correct they needed to get rid of the three goalie situation to have more roster flexibility they needed to get devin levi more games and they needed to get uko pekalukin in the net more often because he's playing well uh you know blues game notwithstanding you know he's he's been their best goalie and that's what they you know, that's why Don Granado said he had no regrets over the situation because they felt they needed more time to identify who that goalie was going to be. Now they know that it's Uko Pekalukinen. It may not be that way in two months. Maybe Levi's ready to come up, but if he does, he will have he will come up in a much different space than where he started the season, where it was all about Devin Levi, Devin Levi, Devin Levi. That's not the case anymore. And that is healthy for him. It's healthy yeah. for the team. It's healthy for the locker room, I think. This playoff expectation season that a 21-year-old was sort of handed the net in a way. Yeah. Now it's on merit. Uko Pekalukinen, who was third in the rotation, didn't play until, what, the seventh game of the season, I believe it was? I love it, man. Yeah, he, he didn't see the net for a while, and then he played like five in a row. Or right, something. sort of an, yeah. sort of an yeah. afterthought. <laughs> if it weren't for injuries, maybe he doesn't even get in the net that early and now it's like well <clears throat> the other day don granado was even saying he's also had to overcome you know some of the things that have been written about him but i, I want to be like well you know first of all i don't feel like ugo pekalukinen has gotten that much media criticism and if anything i feel like the team's handling of ugo pekalukinen has opened the door for that you know, maybe social media, but it's like sure, every, but... every opinion is represented on social media. Absolutely. There's always going to be, you know, who cares what's so, you know, it's like you and I, like we don't, we care about our chat. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can't, we can't get caught up on what's going on on Twitter because every single thing could possibly be said on Twitter. But anyways, I digress. Point being that the Sabres themselves clearly had a fair amount of doubt in Uko Pekalukunen. Yes. Yes. He earned, he was one of the two best goalies in camp last year didn't get a spot because they brought back Craig Anderson and Eric Comrie some doubt but if they had a lot of doubt maybe they would have been a little more aggressive in pursuit of a veteran if they had maybe. a lot of doubt maybe I think they had some doubt though I I just think by the way the season started yeah the fact yeah. that he was third in the rotation right yeah. and the fact that yeah. last year 
an injury is what it took for him to get to the NHL. And then last year at the end of the season, he was just sitting around while Devin Levi took the net and, you know, had all, you know, all these important games and Craig Anderson got his games and UPL just kind of sat around. Real deal. Prime wants us to know that he backed UPL from day one. You hear me day one. <laughs> I love the I love the interaction from uh, Real Deal Prime. Thank you for that. That was that made me chuckle. Sorry, Matthew. I but, had to I had to pop that. You know, up this is not a. There are there have been some UPL, some fierce UPL backers for a while, and so I yeah. I believe, I believe anybody who states that I I had criticized a few of the goals he let in against the Flyers was the Flyers or the Penguin Penguins a few weeks ago on the road when they were shut out for nothing. More so nitpicking, you know, him not hugging the post tight enough on that Malkin goal and um, and another goal that went in. It was just me nitpicking on social media, and I had some of those UPL backers. I've been accused of both being a UPL hater and a and a softy on UPL. So I think I'm some of the things that like has have concerned me historically about UPL's game. We've talked a little bit about it in, in previous episodes of the show. You know, scrambling, taking himself out of the net a little bit. He, he started to do a little bit of that last night. You know, when he's off in the first couple of minutes of the game, if he's sliding out of position, if his body's not moving as one, he's not fully composed. Um, you started to see that a little bit last night, um, and it's no coincidence that he allowed a number of goals last night. Again, yeah, was he the reason that they lost? No, I don't think he was the full reason, but you know, I think he wasn't a he wasn't on his A game or his A plus game to kind of. Yeah, he's he's reading up. the play better. He's calmer. He's he's definitely so much more consistent now. It's the challenge <clears throat> of doing it over the course of a full season. But it's interesting because you know he was a second round pick. He was a MVP in the OHL. He was you know big time at World World Junior, Junior Gold. Yep. Yeah, and he was a legit prospect and is still extremely young. Now he's not Kevin Adams draft choice, but that hasn't stopped them from get, being convinced of, I would say almost their entire core at this point is not Kevin Adams draft choices, right? Owen power, Kevin Adams no. draft choice. I think the rest of them were acquired by Potter. Well, it's uh, yeah. Rasmus and I think Malin, the first Dylan Cousins. Jack Quinn, I think, and I think Jack Quinn was the first Kevin Adams draft choice, right? I believe that, so. That uh, that COVID, uh, that October COVID draft. So then so. Owen Power. And yeah. so Owen Power is the one who, what year was Matias Samuelson draft? Samuelson was Botterill. Botterill. So Sam. Ryan Johnson was Botterill. Tage Thompson was a Botterill trade. Uh, yeah. So was Ryan Johnson. The, uh, draft choice in the Ryan JB's fantastic finds. Okay. Yeah. Jason Botterill had some fantastic finds. Casey okay. Middlestat is a, is a Botterill choice. Dylan Cousins was a Botterill choice. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Uko Pekalukanen was a Botterill choice. So yeah. that UPL was always a solid, pro he was always like, that, even like when he was struggling in Rochester and people were asking questions, he was always still that same prospect that had that decorated resume at the previous levels that you mentioned. Yeah. He and it's always that guy. And he's still young. Like he's still within the age range where he should be breaking into the NHL and we should start to be seeing the signs of his development. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing the normal path it takes for a goaltender and his has not been normal because he's had injuries. He had COVID. He had 
some weird seasons along the way. It's kind of like a Tristan Jari path. I think I'd have to go back and validate that claim that I'm making right now live on the show, but I think there was kind of similar. Jerry was a uh, picked similar spot in the draft scored a goal last night, by the yes, way, Tristan Jerry did. Um, he was not surprising season, sort of. He was, he was available. Yeah. Kind of, um, but, but yeah, I'll have to check that, but no, I think, but here, and by the way, so he's playing well presently UPL is, but it can go and dip again. And that's it where can. you want Devin Levi to be ready in that on-deck circle. Go down. Now, I want to make sure – this is how I'm looking at the Levi thing in Rochester. I want him to uh, just consistently stop pucks that he sees. He's going to see a lot of shots. Amherst give up second most goals in the American Hockey League right now. I think they've given up 72 in the 17 games they played. And it's an offensive league. The defense will break down in front of them. That's why, you know, guys in the HL, especially like the, like it's the same thing with the coast league guys in the coast league are flawed. Well, you get guys with flaws in the HL, but there's just fewer of them than there are in the coast league. There's going to be some defensive breakdowns and I want Levi to just be able to get into a rhythm, see pucks, just get, just start feeling good, seeing the game. It'll slow down for him a little bit, get some confidence. I, we don't know what's going to happen with UPL up here. He's right in a pretty good run right now. But a couple more games, like, you know, or a couple more goals let in, like maybe that first one that you talk about last night, it could it could go the other way real quick, I guess. Yeah, you need either him or uh, Eric Comrie to find the groove at the right times, right? You know, if you PL you need cool, both of them to push each other. Exactly. It, it, a normal two goalie setup where if UPL slips for a little bit, Eric Comrie's ready to find his groove, which he had early in the season. So it's a much more, I, I'd like to see them give it a little bit of time. Let these guys have the breathing room of two goalies, each having their own net in practice and at skates. Give Devin Levi some time. Don't make it about how quick can I get back up? Let like his it, development breathe. I yeah. agree. I Give agree. It. I'm I'm bringing up the worst case scenario already. But, but you're right because <laughs> last year they were in a spot where Uko Pekalukinen was not playing particularly well, and and they're gonna to the point circle it all the way back to urgency. Right? They're just gonna have to get to a point, and maybe it comes this year. Maybe it should come this year within the next few months where they're just gonna have to make decisions about some guys. Right? Is Uko Pekalukinen part of this or not? Right? Right now he is, absolutely, the way he's playing. But is he legitimately part of this? This is an RFA at the end of the year. So how big a part of it is he? Yeah. And if he's not, maybe you think about moving him out, right? You know, Eric Comrie's contract's up at the end of the year, so there's there's that as well. And Levi's an RFA at the end of the year. Is he an RFA right? at the end of this year? I think he's contract eligible at the end of the year. Well, not but, RFA, but I mean, well, he's, yeah, he's, I mean, his deal's up. I mean, he's got to be. Did last year count his, as his entry a, level deal is up? No, he's got one more year after this one. Does he? According okay. to cap friendly, okay, but he would be right. extension eligible. Extension eligible. This yeah, summer. But oh, yeah, because he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't 20. That's right. Yeah. He signed a three year. I thought when he, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So like Johnson signed a two year. Yeah. So, but like many of these prospects, like many of these players on the team, somebody in the chat, uh, you know, is on the trade middle stat train um, for the contract reason, right? At some point you're going to have to pay this guy and, uh, and 
that's these are the decisions that you have to make. We've we've had this discussion, I think, off off air that Kevin Adams has executed pretty well, I think, the first and easier part of the rebuild, the teardown, mm-hmm. which yeah. was not easy in this sense because he had Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Ristolainen, some disgruntled, high-profile players. The Jack Eichel trade in particular, all eyes on him. You know, first time negotiating a big trade like that. Didn't win the trade, but did okay, right? Got yeah. Alex Tuck, and we'll see what Oslin becomes and how Krebs develops. Eichel's got a cup, so so he kind of wins uh, in the purest sense, but um, did pretty well with that part of the rebuild, I think. Stockpiled picks. Got all these prospects. You know, the trades worked out well. Yuri Kulik and Devin Levi for Sam Reinhardt, pretty good, right? The Verstelainen trade was a, was a good good return. Now you're at that stage because you there's a line here, and I tried to get to this in my column the other day. Patient, you need patience, right, to execute an NHL rebuild properly. But I do think there's a fine line between patience and urgency where you need to... Being patient is really convenient. And I'm not talking just about Kevin Adams. I'm talking about professional sports general managers and coaches. Why wouldn't they preach patience, right? Patience is security. Yeah, just just a little more time. This will just all, just let it cook. It'll get there. But there's an element of it that's factual in this case, right? Where it's you do need to give it time. But yeah, but it's look at the lightning and look at the avalanche because those are the examples people bring up where you have to be getting all these draft picks and you have to be doing this and that. I linked to a story in my column the other day from Joe Smith about how the lightning were built, the amount of trades they pulled off to get there. The amount of oh, trades yeah. the Avalanche pulled off, these timely trades of Jonathan Druin, right? Yeah. Big time prospect. You know, they trade him away. Having the self evaluation skills and the conviction to say, not fall in love with your own prospects and not fall in love with your own guys and make these shrewd moves to add Alex Tuck types, right? To add these, you know, veterans that are in the right age range for your time frame and fill your needs and all these things and not relying. I think part of the problem is you can't rely on free agency when you're Buffalo because they've improved as a, as attractiveness in term, you know, as a destination, but they're not Tampa. They're not, you know, they're not Vegas. They're not Florida. They're not, Boston, Toronto, they're, they're different. They're not as geographically attractive. And so if you're relying on that, you end up with Eric Johnson's and Connor Clifton's and guys that maybe you need to pay a little bit more for that have a connection to a player on your team or a coach on your team. And you need to be able to make some smart, timely trades and make decisions about your big, huge pile of prospects, basically, at some point. And it has to happen probably soon. As expected, the chat is buzzing. We got some chat going back and forth between the chat, which I love to see. The chat, the chatters are interacting with each other. There's a lot on the topic of the middle stat scenario, which we talked about it a while ago. Um, that's going to be a really interesting development. I mean, right now, I think he's still co-leading the team in points, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it up in front of me, but um, you know, I threw a couple of them up here. You know, there's the 
the back and forth. It's it's going to be like this all season long, I think, on a guy like Middlestat and that conundrum. Do you sign your young guys to long-term deals because they have already signed a good chunk of them? Or I threw up the chat earlier from, I think it was Wyoming Trout, who's getting a lot of play on the chat today, um, talking about how Vancouver traded their captain, Bo Horvat. Right. And now they're right up there, you know, challenging. And I, I, you know, I look at a team like the Kings too. Um, they might be another model where they pretty much accelerated their rebuild with some trades, you know, Kevin Fiala and things like that. But they did with a lot of young guys too. Um, but also moved out a young player that they took, I think, fifth or sixth overall in uh, Gabriel Lardy to get Dubois, another trade, right? So anyways, uh, we can go on and on all day about this stuff. Matthew, we're already an hour and 20 minutes in. When we were teeing this up earlier before we went live, I said, hey, we'll go for maybe 45, 50 minutes, Friday afternoon. Nobody will be in the chat. It'll be Friday afternoon. They're like me. They're just kind of, you know, maybe sitting there staring at their desk, faking, working, uh, looking at spreadsheets, you know, moving their mouse around. But uh, maybe there are, maybe some of those people are doing that. But I'm I'm surprised. Uh, good turnout in the chat today. Actually, and it seems to happen every time we sit down. We're preparing for 45 minutes and we spill into into some extra time. There was a lot to cover this week. I feel like we hit most all of it. And we did. We'll leave some meat on the bone for I was going to say, man, we, we did leave some meat on the bone and we're not going to go there today because I think we want to come back. Uh, we want to have some days. Else. We want to have some some more to, to chew on when we come back here in a few days. And next week, we'll we'll get back to it. There, it's a busy weekend of games and we'll have a bit more of an idea of what these Sabres look like. Maybe we can. I, I don't know. We've, we talked about maybe doing pregame at some point. Yeah, do we uh, want to crowdsource that? Is there a, is there a demand for a quick pregame? You know, not an hour and, and twenty minutes, but is there a demand for that? Would would the chat show up? Would uh, you know tee up the game? Maybe tee up the evening's uh, worth of action. Just a real quick hit. Matthew on location on home games potentially tee him up that way. But even Matthew, even when you're sitting in that office yeah. or you're at home on a game night, I think, you know, go live for 15, 20 minutes is properly set the table. If there is a, uh, an appetite for that, let us know in the chat, let us know in the comments after this video is no longer live. Love to hear what the fans have to say. Matthew, I got to go to the bathroom and I got to get the happy hour parting shots for you. I think we hit it all. We'll, we'll see what this team has in store against Carolina on Saturday and then against Nashville on Sunday. And I don't know, fingers crossed that, that the Patrick Kane show is ready to get started right here in Buffalo. I think that would be, would be pretty spicy. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good content. That'd be good content for sure. Um, I'm happy to be home. I missed my dogs. It was long. Those are long days. Again, classified work location, classified work trip, but, um, no, it's good to be back too. It's good to be back here in my chair, talking hockey with you, interacting with the chatters. Um, I love it. I love it. So I think that's a good, oh, you got something else? I was going to say, we should remind the people that they can find us on Apple Podcasts. They can find us on Spotify, anywhere they find podcasts pretty much, right? And of anywhere course, right here on podcasts, YouTube. On YouTube. I, I think that's a good call out because I'm really bad at that. I should be teeing that up front and center at the top. Please like the videos, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell. So when we do go live, you know, and you can hop in. Um, I think some people have already, but if you haven't, that's a reminder to do so. Um, the likes and, and the comments so help. The yeah. comments help the algorithm. We want to 
make this uh, successful as possible and things like that will help uh, along the way. I think that's it. I think that's it. Oh, I love it. 3.40. Perfect time to uh, end a podcast. I can get a little breather before the Amherst game tonight. I think we might see Devin Levi in the pipes uh, tonight. I'll let you know. Be on the lookout for that on Twitter. For Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, for the production crew out in the truck getting soaked in the rain in front of my house, I'm Chris Baker. We'll see you again very soon.